0: what is going on breakthrough success listeners mark birdie here in this episode we're going to talk about an important skill that you need in business and life and that is the ability to negotiate so if you want to negotiate with a potential client with a potential sponsor, maybe you wanna get a raise. There's a lot of different ways that negotiating comes in play, and that's why this episode is going to be primarily focused on mastering that skill. Our guest who joins us today, she is a business negotiation strategist, international speaker, host of In The Ven Zone podcast, which will be in the show notes, and author, Of Why Not Ask, a conversation about getting more. As the CEO and founder of Venn Negotiation, she negotiated with numerous Fortune 100 companies, along with hundreds of small and mid sized companies across 54 countries. She has done a lot of negotiating over her career, and she is here to help us today with our negotiating skills, and she is none other than Christine McKay. Christine, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. It's awesome to be here. Great to see you again. Christine, it is such a
0: pleasure to have you on Breakthrough Success and Negotiating Entrepreneur. if you own a business or you're in a corporation but negotiating is a skill that applies to everyday life it is something we have to develop now i feel like a lot of people when they think about negotiating they think about how can i win in this relationship how do i get the better end of the deal but that could lead to a really toxic viewpoint so i'm wondering how do we view negotiations like what is the mindset we need to have when going into that conversation
1: well i love what you just said that people think that they go in they go into negotiation thinking they need to win in the relationship but the reality is, is you cannot win in a relationship right you either exist in a relationship successfully or you don't but there is no winning in relationship and so and from my perspective in my experience negotiation is really just a conversation about a relationship and because you cannot win a relationship my hope for everybody is they stop trying to win the relationship and they focus on what they need to what they need and what they want and how they're defining success and how they can help their counterparts be more successful. But it really is about that conversation about a relationship. And the
0: relationship dynamic, it's give and take in a sense where you get some of the things you want, but the other side also has to get things they want as well. Like when you're negotiating, it's easy to just think about yourself, but the other person you're talking to is also trying to negotiate. You got the same type of mentality uh, on both sides of that negotiation. And while it's great to view a relationship as, you know, don't try to win it, you also don't want to feel like you lost in a negotiation. So how do we go into it? We know we're not trying to win, we're not trying to dominate the other person because that could really stall
1: negotiations, but how do we also feel like we're not losing or we should? Well, the first thing is to think about negotiation. First of all, every single relationship we are in is negotiated without exception every relationship is negotiated. There is a give and take in every relationship. And so the best, one of the ways that I like to help people think about negotiation is there are actually three key components in every negotiation. There's you, there's your counterpart, and then there's the situation that you're negotiating. And that's why our company logo is a three circle Venn diagram, because it, because agreement happens at the intersection of all three of those. And so understanding ourselves and what we want and need is absolutely critical to being successful in negotiation. And I I love your show. I listened to a number of your episodes and I loved some of the stuff that Christian uh, de la Huerta was saying about um, fear and how we are afraid to ask we're afraid, we're afraid of all sorts of different things, and we become afraid to ask for what we want because we're afraid of being judged by other people. And so sometimes, you know, the hardest part of a negotiation happens between our ears because we are having that internal dialogue that's fear-driven that makes it hard for us to ask for what it is that we want. But a lot of times, so you have some people who are afraid to ask completely and then you have other people who are just so bold in asking that they completely ignore the other two parts of the equation and they're so focused on just what they want that they don't care about anybody else and they're not observant of the situation that they're in. But when we look at and we get that understanding of ourselves, and then we say, okay, what makes what is going to help our counterpart? And I'll actually ask that question. When we're when I'm in, in a negotiation, it's like, how do you define success? How is this relationship going to be successful for you? What, what does that look like for you? Because once I have a view of what that looks like, then I can look to see if my objectives and my counterparts' objectives are aligned and when there's that alignment we start to see the overlap of the venn diagram but then there's also the situation that we're negotiating you know this last year and a half right the situation has come into stark focus um, because of the global pandemic right you know i knew people i know somebody who three days before um california where we're located shut down he signed a 10 year lease on a on a restaurant space 3 days before the shutdown right and ouch right it, but he wasn't paying attention to the situation he wasn't looking at what what are the external factors that are playing into this conversation about this relationship between him and the landlord so when we're negotiating it really is all three of those components and it's where those three things come together that's where we get agreement. That's where we find alignment and our relationships grow from that position.
0: And the alignment piece is, it, it's essential because again, we have this dynamic where you're trying to negotiate with the person you're talking to is also in that negotiation process. And It's one thing to say, you know, I want this, I want that, but how does it help the other person achieve their goals? The best relationships are those win-win relationships where both people feel like they came out better from it versus one person trying to gain a lopsided advantage over the other. Now, when it comes to business and negotiating, one of the conversation points for a lot of business owners when it comes to negotiating is charging higher prices and when it comes to employees it's very frequently how can i get a raise so how would you suggest we approach these conversations for the employee how do i get a raise and for the business owner how do i negotiate justify raising the prices
1: so it's an interesting concept because what research shows us both in terms of salary and in terms of pricing for products and services is that in both cases, price or is, is generally fourth or fifth in the list of things that are important. There are three or four other things that are usually much more important to somebody in their job or their career and somebody who's buying a product or service. So one of the challenges that I see is that we, we have been taught to default to price. So I'll talk to entrepreneurs all the time who'll say to me, I don't negotiate because I don't negotiate prices. But I'm like, but do you negotiate timing? Do you negotiate deliverables? Do you negotiate who has what levels of responsibility to contributing to the deliverables? Do you negotiate meeting times? Do you, I mean, there there's so many different things that we negotiate. And so, you know, price, I always say that price is an output of a negotiation. It's not an input. And we often treat it as an input. And what I mean by that is this. There are a lot of things, there are a lot of assumptions that go into us deciding what price we're gonna set. There are a lot of assumptions that go out into us saying, and, and quite frankly, salary is just a price I set for myself. I'm then the commodity, the product that's being sold to, to my employer. So we have all these assumptions that go into what price is going to be, whether it's for a job or whether it's for a product or service. And what I find is that if I can understand what the assumptions are that are used to get to price, mm-hmm. and I can negotiate those assumptions, right? Because what happens a lot of times is you may start at one point in the assumption, and I have a different starting point because I have a different perspective. It's like, well, what's, what's your starting point? What's the perspective that you have? Oh, this is my perspective. And how do we bring those perspectives closer together? So if all I'm focusing on is the number, then you get into an argument but if you focus on the assumptions that go into building the number to getting the number and you can get agreement on the assumptions then the number is just an output and it's harder to argue with the number because now you have alignment on the assumptions that are used to derive the number and so i have found that to be hugely freeing in a negotiation because it gives me more things to be able to focus on. And sometimes the assumption is, well, you know, Glassdoor told me this, right? Or in a, in a job, or the market says this. And it's like, you know, then the counterpart, whether it's an employer or a customer, has to say, well, I agree with Glassdoor, or I agree with the market, or I don't. And this is these are the rationale. This is the rationale for why that is or isn't
0: and i really like that perspective of not focusing on the price like the end result is you want that raise or you want to be able to charge higher prices but you don't get there by saying you know i deserve it i've been working so hard like look at what i'm doing like i deserve it that's not how you get there what you do as christine mentioned is you have to look deeper you have to look at the inputs that control that output if you are doing some really incredible work and that is the input that is leading to output in terms of price how do you strengthen the way the inputs look in other words how do you maybe you do some extra tasks or you demonstrate that you are of a high value to the company you're at or you demonstrate your ability to perform a skill very efficiently like there are different things you have to do to highlight your worth that go beyond saying Like I've been on payroll for a while. Give me a raise. Or it's been a while since I raised the prices of my books or courses. Now I'm going to raise them to prices everyone else charges. You have to justify your end of the negotiation and make it go beyond I'm negotiating this just because I want it.
1: The other thing I'd like to add to that is that when we have clarity on what it is we're trying to accomplish, what our end goal actually is, it gives us the ability to say, to, to look at, right? So let's just say, stick with salary for a second, right? What does salary, what does getting a higher salary do for me? what do I really hope to accomplish by getting a higher salary? Maybe somebody wants to go on a bigger vacation. Maybe somebody wants to you know, put more away for retirement. Maybe somebody's planning a family, but there's something dig- deeper. There's something deeper that we're trying to accomplish when we ask for something, right? What is that deeper thing? I mean, in my program, one of the things we talk about is clarity in terms of how do we how do you get clear on what it is that you actually want? And usually when people say, I want something, it's very superficial. They don't, they haven't spent a lot of time really understanding what that what that thing thing is. I use a car buying example a lot of times, you know, when people, you know, say, you know, need want to buy a car. It's like, I'm gonna go buy a car. What do you care about? And they, you know, mic, model, price, gas mileage, reliability. Well, do you want it today? Or are you willing to wait for it? Because that drives a different economic model for both the buyer and for the seller. And so, what, what, what clearly do you want what specifically do you want out of this situation and what are you trying to accomplish because when you can get to a level of specificity in what your goals are what you find is that you know the thing you, it may not be salary actually that you really are, care about maybe what you really care about is getting another week or two weeks of vacation time mm-hmm. maybe what you care about is that your company increases its matching right there to your 401k i mean there's so many different ways of getting to what it is you want. So when you have that clarity, it frees you up to be able to explore different options. And curiosity is the number one skill set required to be effective as a negotiator. You have to be curious about all three of those circles in the Venn diagram. Curious about you, curious about your counterpart, and curious about the situation you're negotiating.
0: And I love, Christine, how you jumped in there and talked about some of the benefits that companies offer because sometimes it's not a matter of getting a little bit of extra money. It's you want to work one week less, get some extra vacation time, or you want to work remote. That is a big negotiating point. A lot of people right now want to work remote. The pandemic told a lot of people like, hey, we could work remote for a lot of these jobs that we were previously going into the office for. And maybe instead of asking for a raise, let me just do remote where I'm not even spending as much on gas and transportation anymore. My nine to five isn't as hectic. There are a lot of different ways you can negotiate. And if you think about multiple possibilities, it becomes easier for you. Maybe you don't land it the way you wanted it in every single sense, but you end up in a little bit of a better position now than you were before the negotiations took place
1: yeah absolutely i mean i have not had a bad negotiation in a very very long time because i've learned how to think through these different aspects of the negotiation to figure out what's going to work for me and what's going to work for my counterparts in the situation that we're in and so you know one of my favorite i mean my two favorite words yes and no right so but you know most people are like okay we got to get to yes but no, there's a lot of freedom in the word no, and no sets up our boundaries. No tells us this is where, this, this is the, essentially, these are the riverbanks that I'm operating in, and all my yeses are, you know, the, the rain that's falling in and creating the river that's going to ultimately take me out to achieve my big goals, my big ocean goals. But what, what are those, what are the boundaries? So it's like setting the boundaries, understanding when you're going to say no, when you're going to walk away, so that you can accept more yeses in your life. And you have to have the two of those things to be effective.
0: And negotiation, it is something you get better at with practice, but the important thing is going out there and practicing. And that is how Again, you may not get everything you want, but at least you end up a little bit better, but that all starts with asking. And for a lot of workers, there's this big fear of asking the big boss for a raise or uh, the business owner doing the sales call and a really high price number. How do we gain the confidence to ask in a negotiation? especially when we feel like we're asking for a lot like a week extra time off like some people may feel like they're asking for the world if they ask for something like that
1: well that goes back to you know that goes kind of goes back to christian's conversation on the earlier episode you had with him around that fear component and and the work that susan jeffers did may she rest in peace um you know that around around fear and you know feel the susan 's view was you know feel the fear and do it anyway right a lot of times one of the things that we we all learned like the best negotiators on the planet are seven years old. But by the time they turn eight, they start not being as good as negotiators. Because starting at eight, and there's scientific evidence that shows this, starting at eight, how we interact with people and how and our willingness to ask starts to change. And as we get older, we hear no more. But the thing is, and so we focus on that no, we focus on and and then we tell ourselves. Oh my god, if I ask for that higher salary, I'm going to get fired or if I ask for that, you know, that higher price, that customers going to leave me or if I ask for a shorter delivery time, the supplier's going to mess up my products and we have all these stories that we tell ourselves. And in reality, if we look back over our lives, we've actually gotten a lot more yeses in our lives than we have no's. We've just chosen to focus on the no's. So when we focus on the no and we, that's the, the, you know, what we're telling ourselves with our little reptilian brains that don't want to, don't want that want us to stay exactly where we're at. So we're completely safe because they know that we're that part of our brain knows we're breathing and we're living that because that's all it cares about is that we are surviving. And so You know, when we're like kind of going, trying to go beyond it, that part of our brain goes, "Oh my God, don't do that!" Right? And so the big thing is getting to a point where we can shut that part of our brain off, or we can look at it and go, "Yeah, that's that part of our brain. Thank you very much for helping me stay alive and keeping me breathing and keeping all of those involuntary activities happening in my body. But this is my other side of my brain, and I'm actually going to go do this. I'm going to go ask." right? Why not ask, right? If we don't ask, then we're denying ourselves the opportunity to live our fullest and our biggest lives. And somebody once said, Um, calculated, a mathematician calculated the probability of you and I sitting on this call at this moment in time, and it's like one in 14 trillion, that the two of us with our DNA makeups and our experience and everything else would be sitting on Zoom together, one in 14 trillion. We are all meant to live very big lives. We are all meant to have very big impacts. And I believe that because I had to believe it. Because when I, when I was 19, I was pregnant and homeless and living out of the back of my car, and I was on welfare for almost a decade, and I decided I wanted a different life. And so I renegotiated one. I renegotiated with myself. I learned how to ask, and I ultimately earned my MBA from Harvard University, and I've negotiated with some of the biggest companies on the planet. And I did that because I learned I had to ask. I, I learned how to ask at an early stage of my life. And so why not ask? No is not a bad thing. No is just an invitation to ask another question, either of the same person or of somebody else. What are they saying no to? Really, is it everything that I'm asking for or just a piece of what I'm asking for? Figure that out. Don't just sit and say, don't let somebody say no to you and just walk away and accept it. Ask them, what exactly are you saying no to? Is it everything or is it a part of what I'm asking for? And if there's something that it's in, if it's just a part, then now you have a different conversation that you can have.
0: I think there are so many people who they underestimate themselves. I mean, you definitely have to embrace the fact that there is more for you. And it starts with a lot of negotiations. You have to muster up the confidence and ask. Worst case scenario, you don't raise your prices. The boss says no to your raise. Uh, but you know why not ask? That is the main concept behind Christine's book, which we will be throwing in the show notes. But I do want to jump into your story a little bit more. I mean, 19, pregnant, homeless, and you get on with your Harvard MBA, and you establish yourself. You're able to uh, negotiate with all these big companies. Uh, i I really love to hear more about that transformation because you've got a lot of people who are struggling in a lot of different ways. But, I mean, to think about what you mentioned and how you're able to transform that, I feel like that would be a very powerful story for a lot of people.
1: So, I mean, it was... It was, it was a trial. Um, after I uh, quit living in the back of my car, though, r- shortly thereafter, I had met this woman. She's a woman of very deep faith, and uh, she challenged me to write down a goal that she encouraged me to pray about. And I went to the welfare office for the first time because I couldn't get on assistance while I didn't have an address. So I went there, and they said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to go to Harvard, and they laughed at me. And they told me that it was a stupid goal, that it was never going to happen, that it was impossible. All the, the the negatives, right? My family laughed at me. I mean, everybody laughed at me and I didn't have the confidence. And so I met a guy who um, wanted to take control of my life and I gave him control of my life. I abdicated the right to make my own decisions to him because I didn't think I was capable of making good decisions for myself. But he couldn't support us. I did. We did our grocery shopping at the local food bank. I boiled water on the stove for my kids to have baths. I went through garbage cans on on some occasions in order to put gas in the car. Um, and one day I couldn't feed my daughter and my oldest daughter, and I just I had enough. And my husband at the time was not a very nice man, and he didn't believe that women should be educated um, or have jobs. And I decided to take a risk to my physical being and I decided to go to community college anyway. And I got a 4.0 GPA and a full scholarship to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in upstate New York. And I got onto campus and I looked around and I was like, this is gonna be easier on my own than it is with him. And I became the first woman to graduate as both a full-time student and a single mom at RPI. Um, I graduated with honors. Uh, I, you know, my kids went through a lot and I, and I, that's really where I had to learn how to ask for help. I learned how to ask, I asked somebody to help me babysit in exchange, to babysit for me in exchange for a home cooked meal. I mean, I, I just, I surrounded myself with people who believed in me when I did not believe in myself. That was like, if I have to look back and Say what are the two biggest contributors to my success? It's one that I surrounded myself with people who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself, when I didn't have the strength to believe in myself. And the two, second, is that I learned how to ask for what I needed and what I wanted. And that those two things made the rest of my life possible. And after I graduated from Rensselaer, I started working for what's now Verizon. And I started working in international mergers and acquisitions and it, you know, I, and then my career took off and I met and married the man of my dreams. We've been together. We've been together for almost 30 years, married for 28. And, you know, I have three amazing women as daughters who are all in their mid thirties now. And, you know, and I look back at this life that I've created for myself and, and, and Part of why I do the work that I do and why I launched Venn Negotiation is because I'll never forget the day I walked into that welfare office. And I will never forget how it felt when those people told me that my dream was impossible, that it was too big for me to do, and that I was going to be a failure. Because I hang out with lots of entrepreneurs. And guess what? People are telling entrepreneurs that same bullshit that I heard in the welfare office, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of entrepreneurs not being celebrated for what they're trying to do. I'm tired of entrepreneurs thinking about themselves in this negative status and and, and being sold this bill of goods that this has to be so hard and 90, 80 to 90% of you are going to fail. Well, guess what? If you learn how to ask for what you want, And you learn how to ask for what you want in the context of making sure that your counterparts get what they want too, so that you're both improving, that your positions are both increasing and you grow together. There's no way you can fail in that environment. It's impossible to fail in that environment. And so that's why I do what I do, because I'm on a mission to reduce the business failure rate by helping people improve their negotiation skills, which is why we do, why we have programs, why I wrote the book, why I have the podcast. It's all geared around that.
0: I absolutely love that story. I mean, I'm very happy and grateful that you decided to share it with us because, I mean, just to go through all of that and end up where you are, the biggest thing I got from that was surround yourself with people who believe in you even if you're in a situation where you don't quite believe in yourself. One of the things I mentioned earlier, a lot of people underestimate themselves and underestimate yourselves. You may not believe in yourself. You may kind of doubt your abilities from time to time. And that's completely normal, but you need the community around you to say like, Hey, like you did this back in the day and you can do this again. And uh, that goal, it's nothing for you. You got it. Like people need that type of environment and, you have to make every effort possible to create that environment, whether it's new social circles because the old social circles aren't working. Anything you have to do to create that environment, make it happen. And Christine, people who are in your situation, your past situation, I've done a lot of interviews on Breakthrough Success where I've heard about some really like transformational stories. You've got people who, like Christine, will... Really take such a uh, challenging moment in their life and a time frame, really be able to make that transformation. You have people in a very similar boat who will plunge even deeper into the hard times. What would you say, based on your experience knowing what that type of life is like, what would you say separates um, like being able to rise above all those? Challenges and hardships versus people identifying with those hardships, and just want to make sure I'm learning well, it the right way.
1: It goes back to what I, I already said. I mean, you have so one of my one of uh, my friends and people in my network. She talks about the people we have in our lives as being, we, you know, we have a lot of people who are sitting in the front row of our life, and a lot of them don't deserve to be there. And so we need to take those people and move them to the cheap seats, to the balcony sometimes, right? It really is about who you surround yourself. I mean, I still have crisis of confidence, not all the time, but every once in a while I have a crisis of confidence, you know, and you know, it's, I don't want people surrounding me who are yes people who tell me, oh my God, you're so amazing. You're so great. I I don't need that. I need somebody who says, Christine, you're going down the right path. I believe in the path that you're taking. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And so for the people who are like really in still in that despair, who are really struggling, look at who's sitting in your front row. Like my friend, Carrie Conley says, look at who's sitting in your front row and evaluate are they are they the people who are tearing you down who when you come in and you're super excited because something went really great for you and they tear you down because they feel like crap about themselves so they want you to feel like crap too you don't need those people in your life if, and i know some of somebody's going to say yeah but that's my mom that's my dad that's my spouse that's my kid that's my, my whatever my family right you know what i love i love my mom and dad to death I love them dearly, but they are definitely not in the front row of my life. They are not my biggest fans. They are not my biggest supporters. They are not the second row. They are not in the third row. They are more like in the fourth or fifth row of my life. I don't talk to them about what I'm doing. I don't talk to them about my business because they don't want to hear it. That's not, they, that's just, we don't have that kind of relationship Some lists, some people in the audience, they may have that kind of relationship with a parent or parents that they are in the front row of their life. And that's amazing. But evaluate that. Make sure that you have those people who are closest to you in kind of that bullseye of your relationship who sit and say, who celebrate your wins who cry with you when things go bad and who are there to help buoy you up and help pick you, help, help you as you stand up and brush yourself up and take another step the next day, because those are the people who you want. And that is in my, in my experience. And I do a lot of volunteer work. I volunteer with, um, I'm on a board of directors, of an organization that works with inner city girls to help um, them get to college and their, the first generation in college. And then I'm on the board of another nonprofit that works with single moms and their kids. And I see this all the time in both, in both groups. It's like this, this lack of, sometimes we have to borrow our self-confidence. We have to borrow confidence from other people, their confidence in us when we lack the self-confidence to motivate, to move ourselves.
0: A big theme of that, the people you surround yourself with. One of the things that I like to say often, uh, Jim Rohn said it first, it's like that you're the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. And it's really going to rub off on you. The people you surround yourself with will make any challenge far more difficult or any challenge a lot easier to overcome. The people you surround yourself with really matter. And those relationships are going to impact who you become. And part of building good relationships is good negotiating skills as well. We will have a link to Christine's book. She's got a podcast. She's got a website, a lot of great stuff going on. If you want more insights on negotiating, you've already heard this episode. Christine is a hub of information around this skill. Where do you suggest we go to keep following your work and journey and learning more about negotiation?
1: So obviously my website, but if you really, which is Venn, V-E-N-N, negotiation.com, but really just look me up on LinkedIn. I'm really active on LinkedIn. Um, It is a great place to connect with me. And if you just type in Christine McKay, I, have been a LinkedIn member since I think four months after LinkedIn started. So, so I'm the first Christine McKay in LinkedIn. Um, so just look, look me up on LinkedIn and, and send me, send me a note and I would love to connect there.
0: Well, make sure you connect with Christine on LinkedIn, check out all of her
1: resources. Once again,
0: everything will be in the show notes. Christine, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Breakthrough Success. It was a pleasure to have you here today.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. What an honor to be here. Thanks.